Hi, and welcome to Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and my guest today is Laura Jones. What do you imagine when you think of a painting of flowers by a woman artist? It might be a Margaret Ollie set in her crowded Paddington Terrace, or a Margaret Preston with a striped tablecloth, or it might be a close-up Georgia O'Keeffe with all its erotic interpretations. But it might also be considered less serious, just a pretty picture painted in a domestic setting, nothing to write home about. And it was partly for that reason that Laura Jones initially resisted the flower as subject matter, until it was clear to her that that's what she should be painting. Her exploration of the flower has developed over the years and took an interesting direction in her spectacular recent show, Too Much, Not Enough, at Sophie Gannon Gallery, which I got to in Melbourne a few weeks ago. I wasn't at all surprised when I heard it had sold out quickly. Laura's also a passionate environmentalist and her show at Olsen Gallery last year came from residencies in the Great Barrier Reef after a severe bleaching event. Those works were both awe-inspiring and shocking. So we talk about all of that as well as her portraiture, but Laura also talks a lot about her process and most interestingly her approach to colour. All the works we mention are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. Laura grew up in Currajong, near the Blue Mountains west of Sydney. This episode starts off with her talking about a time when she was doing her Masters at COFA at the University of New South Wales, working part-time in floristry and planning to move into a new studio which was to become the Creative Birmingham Studios in the Sydney suburb of Alexandria. Yeah, I was doing the Masters, working a little bit in floristry and... Um, I, before I actually got really into flowers or sort of, there was a lot going on, but I started a printmaking um, workshop as well in my studio. So I got a studio, um, it was my second studio. So my first studio, no, I had a couple of pub studios. <laughs> <laughs> what are they? Um, what, you like mean? in a pub, I had a room in a pub and painted oh. in pubs um, out in Windsor, sort of near where I grew up. Okay. So they were my first painting studios, but then I got into a big group studio, sort of set up um, Birmingham Street Studios okay. with um, Leah Fraser, a beautiful painter. She found the space. Mm. Um, Is that in Redfern? Um, yeah. It was in Alexandria, oh, and it, yeah. it only just wound up. So this was sort of around 2009, I think we set it up, and it. Oh, Abdul was there. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Alan yeah. Jones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I went there. Yeah. That's yeah. A great. That was a great space yeah. actually. In the beginning, that was this huge open. It was just a big warehouse with no walls, and there were just a few of us. And then gradually, more and more artists came in, and we built walls and different sections and. And then I started a little printmaking workshop in there as oh, well as did my okay. painting. And right. then so I did some prints because I, I got an etching press when I was at Kofa. I made friends with the guy that built the presses. I was like, can you make me one? <laughs> and he did. <laughs> so people came to you, to you and you did the printing. Yeah. And I didn't do it for long because it was, it, you know, it's a very difficult thing to do without the proper facilities. Um, but I, you know, I made some etchings. It was yeah, great. Right. And yeah. then um, kept doing that for a little while, but my, I really wanted to paint. At that point, I realised it, it's painting for me. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. That's and then to sustain it all, I was working in flower shops. So I was, you know, really 
making hardly any money putting it all into the studio. You know, each week I'd be like, okay, maybe I can afford one more, like, <laughs> double adapter to plug in a light. Like, the whole thing was so badly wired. There were, like, fluoro lights everywhere and extension cords and, yeah, every time we could make a small improvement, we would, and then yeah. it gradually turned into the beautiful kind of collective that it became. Yeah. But by yeah. that point, I'd moved out, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So where did you? So did you always start with oil paints? Is that, is that uh, how you yeah. started? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I mean, maybe it was the printmaking inks being oil based. I just felt really comfortable with oils. I mean, I obviously like in little courses I'd done here and there, I'd worked with acrylics, but they just didn't, you know, have that. Like, I was just totally, you know, in love with oil paints. Like yeah, I just found it's interesting, them to isn't be it? so beautiful. And yeah, well, I suppose it, and also it depends on what you want it to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, oh, and you can make acrylic paint. There's so many mediums and amazing things that you can do to make acrylic work for you. And it has a special quality in itself, like a dryness and a flatness that if you really want to manipulate that, it can be such an amazing medium. But, it, yeah, it just doesn't do it for me the way the oil does. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you get into your first group show? with, with Because I presume that's how you, you, you first started yeah. off, most um, artists do. Yeah, I mean, we, at Kofa we had a few little exhibitions. We did a sort of print exchange with Chiang Mai University and I think that was one of the very first shows I was in. But, yeah, all the while meeting other painters that were coming in to use a printmaking facility, it sort of gave me an idea about how to do it. So, mm. you know, because there's no rule book, like how to get into shows and get a gallery. And, yeah. you know, it's so mysterious at that point. So for me, I just sort of gravitated towards people that had done it and asked them, you know, a, a lot of questions about how they did it. You know, like I think in the studio at the time, it was Ben Quilty and Ewan McLeod and, uh, you know, Nicholas Harding and Elizabeth Cummings, all these brilliant mm. artists coming in to use the printmaking facilities. Wow. So, yeah. um, you know, they were like superstars. Yeah, yeah. Um, They're so and, friendly though. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I just kind of gleaned information. Yeah, right. Well, I suppose you've got to ask, don't yeah, you? Yeah, just ask. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's a great environment. And observed. And then yeah. you sort of go, oh, okay, so they're having a show there. And, you know, I really had no idea about how the art world worked. Mm. All I knew was that I just wanted to get better at making things. I kind of knew that I could make good work, but I made millions of bad paintings and bad prints. And But there's something in you, I think, that just keeps trying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So really... I just I just absolutely love being at Kofa because you, you could you could get stuck into the you know the business of making and etching and almost absorb yourself so far into learning that that you because I think a lot about painting is sort of suppressing fear of, of it being a bad painting or you know you really got to let go and I think printmaking sort of allowed me to get into this like physical language of making work so oh what yeah do you, what do you mean what, uh, as a, what you mean as opposed to um you know when you're like a really young painter and you just 
you don't know what the hell you're doing. Like you could maybe set up a still life or do a painting of a nude, but that's not the same as figuring out your own language, you know. Mm. The, and so taking the opportunity in a university environment to just make things all the time and not think about what your ultimate goals are or what you want to make work about mm. and just just make, 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 make. Mm. It's, I, did, I just found that to be a really great discipline to sort of start off my painting mm. career. Mm. And so then, you know, when I did set up that studio at Birmingham Street, you know, I wasn't making good paintings, but I sort of knew that I just had to keep making them and see where that led. You know, it was just, mm. just so you weren't dis- so you weren't disappointed when it yeah. wasn't working. Yeah, because you sort you of just go. Oh, I've just got to keep going. Yeah, I'll right. find it eventually. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and so and so, did you find when you did start painting that you were very highly productive? Like you just kept. Yeah, Is and that- as much as I could afford to be, like I spent all my money on paint, but I'd often run out and be like, "What do I do now?" <laughs> Wish I had another canvas or, you know. So, uh, yeah. Right. And then sometimes I'd be doing sort of 60-hour weeks in the flower shop and just have no time really. Uh, yeah, okay. So it was just, yeah. yeah, I worked as hard as I could. Mm. I think you have to work so hard to be a painter. And it's good to remember that I don't think it comes that easily to anyone it's really something you have to work really hard at oh definitely yeah and I think that's what I learned I learned that you know I wasn't just gonna it did it didn't mean I wasn't gonna become an artist because I've made a terrible painting I sort of realized that it was a practice that I had to kind of that each painting you'd get a little bit better and you'd find a little clue as to how to start the next one and Mm. Yeah. And do you think it helps when you're in a studio environment where there's a lot of other artists working? Yep, definitely. Uh, and I'm in a shared studio now and I'm, I'm with such a diverse group of painters like that everybody works in a different way and every day we learn something about, you know, how to, how to fix a painting or how to mm. approach it from a different angle so you can solve it, you know, and that's something you can really only get from somebody else, you know. So yeah. being side by side in that environment, you know, it's great because you've got a bit of company and, you know, years and years of experience in other people. So you can really learn from yeah. one another. And it's is everyone thing. honest with each other? <laughs> Pretty honest, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I and I think everyone sort of understands that, you know, even if I don't, even if I know they don't really like that painting, they probably know what I'm trying to go for, yeah. you know, and yeah. vice versa. You yeah. know, you, you can sort of see what the intention is going to be. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely something that you get better and better at. Mm. Yeah. Well, so in the early stages, were you um, f- at that point exploring the flowers um, because your, your works um, clearly over the over the years have been concentrating on that subject yeah. matter and they're absolutely astonishing works they're beautiful <laughs> um, and I can see why that I can see why the flowers would be so sort of enticing because yeah. there's, there's so many possibilities with it but what did you what did you find uh, that interested you from from that subject matter well um, they didn't sort of I think I remember doing a few sort of floral 
etchings at Kofa, but I was working in a florist, so I wasn't really making work about flowers at that point. And in Birmingham Street Studios, I was doing self-portraits and landscapes and um, abstract works. I was mucking around with everything. And it was almost like flowers just seemed a little bit too easy um, because I had them. They were always around me. And then Mm. I don't know... I don't know how, but I just did a flower painting one day and it really worked. Yeah. And I went, oh, okay, maybe it shouldn't be that hard. Like maybe maybe, maybe I should paint what I really love. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. You sort of thought I was, it was, I was too really, easy. Yeah, I was really hard on myself. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And then, did you, do you feel like, because it's interesting because um, I was talking to Ken Doan mm. about the subject matter of a flower, and he was yeah. sort of saying, "Why can't why, why don't people write seriously about yeah. the painting of a flower?" Yeah. And probably, um, probably I sense that you know, I, early on, you know, you're absorbing what what people are interested in, and and but then at some point I just went, "Well." I have integrity in making this and I like making this, so really it's a no-brainer. I should just do it. And I think it's really important to paint what you know and because I've been touching flowers every day, you know, understanding their structure and I was so connected with them, then I think that meant that I was able to paint them uh, in, in a way that was unique to me. Well, you've also got the huge variety of form and colour. Yeah, yeah, and they're really a, a beautiful vehicle for that. But I was probably picking up on the sense that, you know, flowers are feminine and historically, you know, kind of pushed over into that domestic arena of women painters and, mm. and kind of a dowdy image that mm. they had. and. Mm. Then yeah, I think it slowly started to occur to me, well, maybe I can just kind of reclaim that and paint them in my way. Yeah. But, yes, and I'm still developing that language and in my recent show it was my intention to take out any sort of sign of that feminine image of mm. the interior, so tables and tablecloths yeah. and vases and... Yeah, well, I'd... I want to get to that, yeah. <laughs> but I think we should backtrack is it? because yeah. that, that's your recent show that just ended a few days ago, yeah. And that was called um, "Too Much, Not Enough," yeah. And that was at Sophie Gannon Gallery, and I and but I think we need to lead up to that, okay? Sure. Because I think I think the seriousness of your work has to be looked at through the prism of where it's come from, yeah. Sure. So even if we just jump back to your your 2016 show, which was Wildflowers, yeah, which was a beautiful collection of works. But as you were saying, in those works, you had the the, the yeah. table, the surface, yeah. the vase. Yeah. Um, you had a more of a traditional perspective yeah. of looking at the at yeah. the flowers in a vase, yeah. sort of a thing. And and even at that point, um, you know, I was setting up those flowers. That that was at a point when I was really into bringing the flowers into my studio. I was working completely observationally mm. and I sort of needed the flowers there because I'd sort of be drawing with them. So I'd go to Grandiflora, the shop I used to work at in Potts Point, or, you know, get some flowers from back out near the mountains or, or mum would drop them off. I just seemed to have this endless source of flowers. <laughs> and, you know, 
because I've been used to working in flower shops and that um, there's something so beautiful about being connected to that cycle of, you know, trimming them and changing the water and sweeping and like that, that cycle in the studio was all became part of my practice and how I started a painting. So, mm. you know, instead of drawing, I'd set up the plinth and choose the cloth to go with the flower colour and make the messy arrangement and pull things out and put things back in and kind of connect with it and the whole time be thinking about how it would look as a painting. Right. But, you know, this is in a big white industrial space and anything there that resembled like the inside of someone's lounge room was completely artificial. Like it was yeah. just studio props really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for me it was all about the flowers and I was still just trying to figure out how you know, you need context, but do you, you know? So I I sort of had those things in, but I was trying to push them around and, you know, make them work for me. Mm. But I was always, for me, it was always about the actual flowers as the symbol and, and the other stuff. Maybe you could even tell with those paintings that it's less important. Like, I really enjoyed flattening the space. I didn't really mm. care if it made any sense, like mm. in terms of perspective or spatially. I was so disinterested in creating a sense of depth or, you know, it's yeah, just like, yeah. no, I want colour, I want planes of flat, flatness and, you know, texture and thick and thin. And So was it know. really what was going to work with the subject or like with the... Yeah, the taking the flowers itself. and putting them into a painting and then turning it into a painting that only really followed my own set of rules. Mm. Um, mm. And and then, yeah, I suppose from that wildflower show, I was so interested in Australian flowers and what the flower means to us in this country at this time. And then that sort of motivation has gradually sort of shifted and... Yeah, it is quite interesting to compare to the recent yeah. Sophie Gannon show. Yeah, so with the with your recent show, mm. uh, Too Much, Not Enough, you've lost the table, you've lost the vase, mm. and um, the focal point really is the, the flowers. But I wanted to talk about, in particular, one of the paintings in that show, because I mm. went and saw it, by the way. I yeah. went and saw it in the <laughs> Thank you. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, the paintings, they actually looked bigger. The, did, you, did you sort of size up a bit in this show? Yeah, the... the, the Biggest paintings I've really ever done. Yeah, so, yeah. So they're about they well. The one I want to talk about, healing flowers. One it's one eighty three by one fifty two. So they were so impressive walking into the gallery. Oh, I mean, just thanks. seeing them, oh, fantastic. Um, this this painting I really loved. Uh, it's called Healing Flower. It's so it's it's basically um, most of the flowers are, are sort of contained in the bottom right hand sort of area of the painting. Mm. Um, it's predominantly red and green and and pinks pinks in there as well, but it's sort of set in an sort of an, almost an abstract sort mm. of setting. There's almost this feeling of a landscape in the background, mm. you know. And it's and you've also got you know a mixture of very thin paint, thick paint, almost dripping in some areas, and it's quite mm. enigmatic. It's so interesting because there's clearly a different. You've got a different approach in this body work. Yeah, and and I I think with this show I I sort of realised when you paint the still life you're referencing long history of the role of 
flowers in art as symbols of the domestic and the sort of image of flowers as being delicate and quiet mm. and frail and girly and pretty mm. and and mm. and how do I kind of reclaim that and and use them as sort of a feminist symbol for you know a tougher more nuanced expression of my own feminist perspective mm. you know and I realise, yeah, all the trappings of the studio and the table is not important to me. You know, like so many women my age, you know, I don't own my home. I don't have any kids yet. I don't, none of those things really represent who I am. And, you know, though, although, you know, I probably aspire to that. It's just the, our, this entire generation is sort of moving towards a future that's all totally new territory and particularly being an artist as well you know it's an interesting time to make art about being a woman yeah Yeah. that's really interesting and so the color palette's really important in that sense yeah yeah color's so important to me and you know when you think about like Georgia O'Keeffe or you know female flower painters in history they would often make that association with you know, flowers are practically like vaginas. <laughs> um, you, you know, that you can't remove that sort of sexualized association yeah. from them. And, you know, to an extent that's true. Um, to me, flowers are a symbol of being human. You know, they, they wilt and die and, and they're just such an attractive thing to human beings and not mm. just women but every gender I wanted to leave a little bit um, of space around them and let the paint do the work and, and not over-describe the form of the flower and, and sort of let them sort of float in space and not really be of anything or in a place or a time. Um, mm. So, um, yeah, I wanted them to be a little bit more abstract, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. yeah. And punchy colours, you know. Strong colours, not... Yeah, um, definitely. And not the muted sort of colours. Yeah. It, it, In a way, I almost wanted parts of them to be a bit awkward and a bit ugly and mm. a bit clunky and, you know, I kind of enjoy that tension. Mm. And none of the paintings really look like any of the other paintings. Uh, each each one was its own sort of story. And, you know, it was fantastic to see them in the space because they had a bit of distance. In my mm. studio, they were just kind of taking over. It was, like, quite a difficult show to make. There was a lot of noise because they were, you know, some of the paintings are really loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, that's right. And so all in the studio, it was kind of hard to see how it was all going to come together. And, oh, and then, you know, when they had a bit of room around them, I was like, right, okay, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. tr- so, so when you started that series... You didn't have a real clear idea what what they were all going to be in the end. Like, no, is, no. Right. So each 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 one was a battle. Was it? <laughs> yeah. So what? How did the flowers? Like, did you choose the flowers? For well, that, or did yeah, you... and that's what I was going to say. This this series, I didn't make arrangements in the studio. I hardly had any flowers in the studio at all. Um, oh, in right. in the beginning, I kind of experimented with um, submerging flowers in water and. Um, I wanted sort of a floating sense, but then eventually I had to sort of take away, you know, relying on actual 
subjects in the studio and just push paintings using like photographic references and snippets of old paintings and mm. and so that each one was really quite made up if you know what I mean. Oh right. Yeah. I usually start with a really thin underpainting and with different colours because I really like that those original marks just show through a little bit. Mm. I like to leave sort of a bit of evidence of the the really fresh part of the canvas and, and those initial thoughts. Mm. But then I sort of build it up in a quite, it's almost got a topographical quality. Yeah. yeah. So it's thick and thin and empty and empty and full parts and cluttered parts and clear parts. And I'm really interested in that balance and struggle and, the, and yeah, the light and the dark. Mm. And that's something that you that will sort of speak to you as you during the, the yeah, painting sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And so a part, you know, you might work on a part and then that will need to be sort of balanced out with another part. Mm. And so um yeah, I'm often overworking things to try and get to this sort of point of balance, you know, and yeah. You you get better at knowing when to stop, um, and the painting you mentioned, Healing Flower, that was one where I really sort of took the painting beyond the initial sort of personal story behind it, and also just made it purely about painting, like what, when is it finished, and and really the show was about that. It was about painting, but it was also about the subject of painting flowers mm. and. What was what's the meaning of the title? What's the significance of that? Too much, not enough. It's essentially that. So so it's about painting, but it's also about the the challenge of painting flowers with the, the in in today's context and what it's like to be a woman right now. Oh, right. Yeah. So Actually, you know you you're always too much. You're never enough. You're always finding yeah, that balance. And right. there's so many. Oh, okay. And I, I'm really interested in symmetry and little accidents and. And paintings about that for me as well. Actually, funny you should, you're talking about being a woman, and particularly a woman artist today, mm. because I was reminded on Instagram recently that I I had asked in episode two of Catherine Haddam, oh, you know, how have you felt about being a woman? You know, female artist is, you know, has it been you know, difficult in any way because you're a woman. Mm. And, and I hadn't actually asked that question to anybody until Wendy Sharp, episode 45, and somebody's <laughs> saying, you don't ask that enough. You know, do you find that it's a barrier or, you know, or maybe the other way around that, you know, you get um, an advantage? Or I think there are a lot of parallels with heaps of other industries with being a career woman in the arts. You know, just the usual stories, but... It's kind of unusual to be a painter anyway and so a lot of the challenges that you, you have as a painter, you know, not really about that at all. But yes, yeah. it's certainly, you know, female artists historically haven't received the recognition that they should and as I'm really lucky to be alive right now mm. and to be kind of contributing to that story, you know, in 2018. So... Yeah. It's something I sort of feel a responsibility to talk about and to engage with and to understand and to think about where I sit in that long story. And that's kind of what this show is about as well. But at the same time, I'm not complaining. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very yeah. fortunate to 
to be doing what I love to do. Yeah. Now, can we talk about last year's show yep. at Olsen Gallery, yeah. which is called Bleached? Yes. Because that was a departure from the flowers. Yeah. And I think it, it sort of uh, it, it, um, came from a couple of residencies that mm. you had in, in the Great Barrier Reef at Lizard Island and Heron Island. Yeah. And it was a body of work which focused on the Barrier Reef and I think was triggered by, you know, these awful events uh, which have, have come about as a result of climate change where the, where the reef has been, you know, increasingly suffering bleaching of the coral. Mm. What actually is, what, what is bleaching? So bleaching happens when ocean temperatures become too high for the coral to function normally. So when you have a period of higher than average ocean temperatures and that goes on for a few weeks, the coral starts to get quite distressed because within it's like a little animal and the way that it gets its food is by having algae inside of it that feeds itself the way a plant does. So it's sort of plant algae within the little organism that mm. is the coral polyp. And so the hot water is sort of an excess of food almost for the coral and it sort of just flips out and it spits out this symbiotic algae, zooxanthellae. Oh, right. <laughs> I learned a lot from scientists of, about um, this relationship and I don't know if I'm explaining it properly. Oh, but, no, that's really um, clear actually. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so the coral... The coral gets distressed, basically, when the mm. water's too hot for too long. So and when it releases that... Is then that... it starts to starve. And so oh, the, okay. and the, the algae within it is what gives it its colour. So when it, it bleaches, it's spitting out that algae and then what you're seeing is the coral polyps with no colouring and they become see-through and you're seeing the limestone or the, you know, the skeleton of the coral within it so you're seeing its bones mm. um and and at that point i understand it's not beyond no at that, uh, at that point it's very sick um so what happens is the the coral starts to fluoresce it sort of glows and then it becomes white and then if it keeps staying hot it eventually dies and then algae takes over the the coral skeleton and but bad just you know sea algae so like brown murky stuff oh, so right. it grows over the structure of the coral and kills it entirely mm. um so bleaching is sort of on the way to total death mm. it's sort of like the canary in the coal mine for climate change really because the bleaching happens when the ocean's too hot for too long and because it's such a striking site you know coral isn't this sort of you know, healthy coral is quite brown and very subtle colours. Whenever they photograph, you know, tourism pictures of reefs around the world, they're always oversaturated. Mm. But you do have a range of really subtle pastel colours like blush pinks and mauves. And um, and when you're snorkelling or swimming, you know, you can really tell it's alive. Like there's sounds under there, there's like mm. crackling and fish biting things off and, you know... There's, you might be moving in the direction of a current, but you can see sort of like spindly little action.
reflections from some of the softer corals. You know, it's really mm. sort of moving around on its own and it looks very happy and healthy. And when mm. it's bleached, it looks really sick and you can tell it's really struggling. It's a dullness mm. to everything. And, Are there um, still, is there still fish around when you... Yeah, it's like lonely looking fish. <laughs> like they look um, a little bit like, oh. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's a bit like, you know, when you see the bush after a bushfire, like every, there's, there's a sense that something's, you know, bad has passed through. It doesn't feel... Mm right mm, and, mm. and I, I suppose that imagery just really struck me when I was reading about the bleaching I just mm. thought this is so terrible um that that we could actually lose the Great Barrier Reef mm. because of it, essentially our activities on the planet as human beings and you know our activities over in Europe can affect something completely on the other side of the world like mm. we really are all on underneath the one roof and I sort of see the planet as like a house and we're being really bad house guests <laughs> we're putting all of our plastic in the swimming pool <laughs> we're like never taking the garbage out we're never cleaning anything we're just like the trashiest house guests and we're really fucking up <laughs> so yeah. I just yeah I just kept reading about it mm. reading about it uh, and thought oh I and I think I subconsciously I was sort of looking for a bit of a change in what I was making it was definitely on the way to taking out the vase and the table like I just in terms of image making I wanted to sort of get more of a garden type feeling in my work mm -hmm. and then thinking about the reef I thought well, I could probably paint that yeah. <laughs> So then I sort of looked into doing residency and um, it went from there. Okay. So I was in there doing little watercolours and um, going out on the boat and seeing what it, you know, it I, I sort of went to, to the reef as it was just starting to try and recover after the bleaching. So there's a bit of coral growing back. So I really, I didn't see coral bleaching I saw like lots of nothing like lots of just dead sort of crumbled coral mm. and evidence of a really vibrant reef once being there so I saw like skeletons of coral but then patches of healthy coral so I kind of got a good picture of oh, what was okay. going on and then these scientists I was sharing the lab with sort of explained everything to me um and yeah so yeah, right. I, I learned a lot yeah how did you approach what you were going to present? I mean, I presume yeah, you... that that was tricky. Yeah, yeah, because it because because it's a pretty depressing. I mean, I should say at this point, your paintings from that show were very colourful. Yeah, although half the show I did do paintings of bleach bleaching coral, like coral in the process of dying, um, and yeah, I didn't shy away from that. But it yeah. was a hard thing to approach because. I sort of, you know, I didn't want to just make happy paintings that didn't talk about that side of what was going on. Mm. But at the same time, you know, and it was actually one of the scientists that sort of encouraged me to paint the healthy coral and then do a residency at Heron Island, which is the southernmost part of the reef, because mm. she said, you can't paint 
the dying coral without knowing what it should look like and mm. how healthy it should be. And and so you have to go to the healthy part of the reef so you get the full picture. Yeah. And also, what was that also, like? And that was incredible. The contra- yeah. Like I just remember jumping in the water and it was sort of weird to do it that way around, like see the dead reef before the <laughs> alive reef. But I'm really glad I did it that way because... It just, yeah, I just remember jumping in the water at Heron Island and being so overwhelmed, like, by just the fish everywhere and, mm. like, such beautiful, healthy coral that I just, like, cried in my snorkel. It was full on mm. in comparison. And I just thought of Lizard Island and, you know, all the people over the years, like, who have sort of been there and yeah. observed it and studied it and, you know, it's been there for much longer than we have and it's absolutely shocking to think that just in a couple of years we could just wipe it out like that it's unbelievable I suppose Um, it was unforeseeable as well I mean mm. nobody would have expected that would ever happen yeah I mean it's a strange phenomenon and that's why I sort of say it's like a canary in the coal mine for climate change because there's so many other places on earth that are affected by rising temperatures that Mm. don't react in such a visually striking way like for these organisms to just go completely white is so bizarre but we're sort of lucky that it does that in a way because it's sort of saying come on like it's the alarm bells it's the alarm yeah Yeah. so yeah so I really tried I painted a lot of white coral um but but not dead coral and I just I I don't know I just wanted to paint it in a a way that sort of says, like, you know, we don't want to lose... Like, I just wanted to sort of show a bit of reverence to the reef and yeah. show it beautiful and healthy. Can we talk a little bit about your portraiture? Because it's not... You don't just do still life yeah. um, and landscape, underwater landscapes. You've got... Uh, you do quite a bit of portraiture and you've actually been finalist in many portrait awards, Portia Geach, Doug Moran, Shirley Hannon and others. Do you have a portrait going all the time? No. It's a sort of thing I do quite randomly. Um, I don't I do not do it much. It's more if the, there's someone there that's sort of up for posing and, the, you know, all the stars align, then I'll do one. Uh, you know, portraits are amazing in the way that they are sort of time markers in mm. the way that flower paintings are as well. The painting's definitely of that time, you know, when you, yeah. well, when I paint portraits anyway because I really enjoy painting, like, the fabric and the mm. hairstyles. And mm. <laughs> well, that portrait you did of Marika Hardy uh, for the Porsche, which got in the Porsche Geach in 2015, that was a great, that was a really good painting, actually. It was a really good pose. She's sitting in an armchair and she's at, you got the flowers in there too on her head. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, a, yeah. it's like a hat, is it? Well, she actually wears... Um, these really wild, cool kind of fake floral headbands. So that was totally, that was all her. Oh, it was, um, it was real, right? Yeah, she has a friend that makes them. And, yeah, so I just got her sitting in the chair and reading. And yeah. um, It's a really good composition, actually, because you've got, it's sort of a bit to the side, so her, you know, it's, it's, yeah. you've got her legs nearly going out on the, she's yeah. sitting with her legs crossed. Yeah, my portraits are really not at all traditional like they're always a little bit awkward and weird and I think they're a little bit difficult <laughs> you mean difficult for you or difficult to no ex- I think people are like what is that that's really that's <laughs> well you so... did that selfie one too yeah <laughs> where you so it's upside down as if you've gotten the well you must have you got the 
the camera and took a photo of yourself while you were lying on the ground. Yeah. Uh, so it's got your head at the bottom and, and sort yeah. of the rest of your body going up towards the top of the canvas. Yeah. So that, that, that is, because that, that stops you and you have to figure it out. Yeah. The viewer has to sort of try and figure what that is. Well, yeah, and that one's sort of about selfie culture, you know. Yeah. Like it's, um, everyone takes selfies. I don't really take many selfies, but I just thought it'd be good to make a painting of that because, you know, that kind of a painting just wouldn't have even existed. Yeah, you're right, you know, actually. A little while ago. Yeah, you're you know, absolutely right. Like and a self-portrait in painting is so different to a yeah, photographic selfie because the self-portrait in painting is so considered and, you know, usually you're sitting there for hours and looking at yourself carefully and you're presenting kind of your, like your inner world to the viewer, whereas I think a photographic selfie that's so, you know, like in, in social media it's all about presenting the kind of self you want other people to mm. see and it's all sort of quite shallow and contrived in well, comparison yeah, and so right. I just thought it would be interesting to mix That's the two. That's interesting isn't it because mm. a selfie photographic selfie you never go you, you you would hardly ever see a contemplative expression in a photographic selfie yeah it's always like a here I am yeah, you know, yeah. I'm here, and I'm you know I got this behind, this see me, behind me. It's like see me this way. I want you to see me this way. Yeah, you know. And they've probably and you've probably taken about twenty of them, and then you've chosen then the you've, one that you think. Yeah, it's funny because sometimes you see selfies and you think, I think you thought that was the best one, but I bet there was another one that was <laughs> probably showed you better at more of yourself. Yeah. Because sometimes you, if you know the person, you think, but that's not really you that that yeah. paint, that yeah. picture. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like what we what we want to project about ourselves, mm. you know. Um, so if can we talk a bit about process? Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to, to, now I think one of your amazing talents is colour. Do you set out all your colours um, in the morning sort of a thing and then sort of start or mix yeah. them and mix them at the beginning or anything like that? Yeah, or? yeah. Um, I spend quite a lot of time mixing the palette. So I'll mix a underpainting colour, maybe one or two. I like to make it hard for myself. So like, I'll do the underpainting in like three different colours. I won't do a wash of one colour. Oh, really? Yeah. Why is that? I just think it's interesting at the end. I don't know. And it's yeah. like a cool, like a, a sort of, process of elimination almost if you put a big wash of you know like roughly there's heaps of red there and roughly there's heaps of blue there and then I'll do a big wash of brown down the bottom and then sort of build on top of those so there's like a back and forth that happens a tension that happens with those colors underneath kind of mm. always I'm always trying to leave a little bit of those coming through so I'll so I'll mix those key colours in the thin washes, just in a tin, and then I'll mix the sort of overall final colours that I want or on the palette, and that's like in the thicker paint. And oh, so you have you have determined so, the colour palette pretty much from the beginning. Pretty much, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's the sort of the only thing I really know. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely. I definitely think it's the. Um, it's part of part of the painting that I enjoy the most is the sort of colour problem solving. Mm. I what really sort of problems would you have? Well, imbalance or how to make something kind of pop or, um, you know, 
picking a really interesting highlight that you wouldn't usually expect, having something underneath showing through that sort of vibrates with a top colour. Um, so, yeah. so layering is important layering to is get really the... important to me, and to get that, and um, yeah, the contrast of textures of the thick and thin paint that also play into the colour choice. So, you've have you planned ahead how that layering is going to work? Just roughly, mm. I have an idea of it. Mm. Um, if I know, say, it's flowers. If I know that the, you know, the flowers I'm going to paint as the sort of focus of the painting, if I know they're going to be pink, then I might paint down a hint of like dark purple or brown or green or something that will look really good with that sort of shining through from underneath. Mm. Um, so I, I do think about that. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I noticed in um, a recent post of yours on Instagram, you were talking about sort of fluorescent colours. Yeah. <laughs> Was, is that a recent thing that you're exploring? Um, yeah, I'm... I like to sort of try new colours. I definitely go through phases of leaning towards some colours and not others. And then it's good to just use something that you would never usually mm. use and see see how that plays into things. And I really like that element of, you know, putting a colour somewhere that just doesn't make sense or ha just having a bit of um, an element of, you know, unexpected choices, colour choices and contrast so that there's a bit of interest in the surface of yeah. the painting. That's, yeah, things don't have to make sense. It's a painting. So, you know. Um, Would that usually come in at the end, something like that? Mm, yeah, mm. or sometimes in the underpainting. I'll just purposely put something kind of weird there and then have to work it in later. And do you use mainly brushes or do you yeah. use palette knife at all? No palette. I mm. use palette knife to mix the paints. Um, yeah, I really, really work hard on mixing the colours. Right. Um, and would you put a medium with the colours at that point? Like, I don't use much medium. I sort of do almost like two layers, two or three layers, so thin underpainting and then I just use the pure paint for the last parts. There's not really much in between. Um, I just try and keep it as natural as possible, if that makes sense. Like, um, yeah, and I work pretty quickly, but that underpainting has to dry before I put the, the top parts on. So, yeah. yeah, and if the underpainting is looking really good, I kind of know it's going to work out as a painting. So, is so the under so the underpainting is going to have the flowers or the subject matter just in the there broad or, shapes. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, So it's like a messy, broad kind of wash of things, and mm. I'm really and then sometimes I think, oh, that looks really cool like that. I'm just going to leave it. So, um, and there's quite a few paintings in my most recent show that really reveal how I think about the beginning of a painting, like the one that you referred to before, Healing Flower, like most of that painting is just left as I would start mm. a painting. Mm. And I kind of wanted to leave it because it looked beautiful like that. Yeah. But it's the paint doing the work for you. It's almost like revealing a bit of your soul when you show the way that you've thought about making something. Um, so I that one was quite a 
yeah, revealing painting, I think. Mm, yeah, I yeah. thought it was a really successful work. It was really beautiful because it did have, it had sort of some colours bleeding into other colours and yeah. which must have been what you're talking about, it, the, yeah. that underpainting. Yeah, art. like you, you'd turn up, you know, a few hours later and the paintings change without you even being there as it mm. sort of dripped and dried and I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. Sort of leave things be a bit. And also I noticed on Instagram that you've been doing some printmaking and I think you've got a show coming up at Olsen Gallery with yeah. some prints. What, can you just briefly describe what it yeah. is? Yeah, so pretty much you get a bit of perspex and you use printmaking ink, so really, really much tackier than painting paint, oil paint. It's like a very, very thick printmaking ink, ink that you would put on an etching plate. Mm. And we use a brush. Use a brush right. and some thinner, just to thin out the inks a bit. And then you paint on this sheet of perspex like you would make a painting. But it's not quite as simple as that because then you run it through a press with heavy pressure and a piece of wet paper as you would at etching. Mm. And as the, you know, you're painting on the bit of perspex goes through with the paper, the impression then goes on the bit of paper and because the paper's wet and it inks are all quite washy it gets this quite oily um, bleeding type of mark so it's like squashing a painting <laughs> and it can come across as like quite like almost looks like a little kid did it but the the more you so it is actually a quite a challenging medium to sort of get something out of it because you are really flattening it when you're running it through the press. I can't say I love doing monotypes. Like. Oh, right. Do you feel disappointed? Well, often? it's just like I did this really good painting on perspex <laughs> and I just squashed it. <laughs> like, <laughs> but um, you get some really interesting sort of surface uh, effects and um and there's only and they're one off you don't you can't, yeah and that's it yeah, and yeah. so you know you might put all the colors on and then if you want white you just wipe it with your finger or a rag and you can sort of make different sort of textures and things in the image and um use different thicknesses of thinners to get sort of washier areas of color than others and sort of got an oily quality about it um mm. and they're really really hard to do much harder than I thought they were. it seems simple to just do a picture on a yeah. bit of perspex but it's it's very hard to make it work are you thinking um, about the squashing effect yeah, when you're doing it? Yeah, and it's better if you do think about that. So initially I started doing it by just doing a painting and then it just didn't work. So you've really got to try and it's just a much more subtle way of printmaking than other techniques. Do you have a routine? Yeah. Um, I'm really not an early bird. So I kind of take a while to kind of wake up and have coffee and get to the studio around 10 and um, ease into it. But, you know, if I'm working towards a show, I stay at the studio really late and I basically paint until I fall over, which is probably why I then need to sleep again <laughs> so <laughs> late. But um, so you'll just keep going. Yeah, yeah. I, I just work. For, I really just work really, really, really hard. So um, in a lead up to a show, so will you find that, like, when do you want to have all the works finished, say, before the um, show opens? How much time? Oh, about you... a month before, yeah. Um, particularly with Melbourne, you know, they've got to be a bit dry to go on mm. the truck and all of that. But, you know, I've definitely had shows where I've hung up wet paintings. <laughs> um, 
But and I I just work right up until the last minute because you always feel like that you've just got that extra. There's another painting in you that could be the best one. And in a few months, I understand you're going to Antarctica. Uh, can you tell me a bit about about that? Um, so following on from the um, show about the reef, um, I sort of stayed engaged with a lot of the people I met in along that journey, um, oh, yeah. the scientists and the people really engaged with, you know, environmental organisations and things. And, yeah, and I sort of just tried to think of a way I could sort of keep working along those lines and keep being engaged in making work about climate change and and yeah of of friend sort of told me about this expedition to Antarctica um that WWF is going on and so I'm kind of going on this ship as artist in residence in oh. December for a couple of weeks and so it's going to be some scientists on board like Tim Flannery and oh wow I'm going to yeah. sort of do the sort of approach it the same way I approach the reef show and bring you know a box of art supplies and a camera and and sort of document what I see and I think it'll be yeah I oh, can't even be believe amazing. I'm going yeah. <laughs> um yeah, just how amazing. The, so it's is like it going to another planet, I think. Yeah. Oh, to just, I mean, what an amazing opportunity. Mm. So is that towards so a show? Yeah, hopefully that will turn into a show at, next year at Olsen Gallery and, and hopefully um, at a couple of regional galleries. So that's oh, what I'm aiming for. And but are you the only artist going to be on board? Or? I think so. Yeah. yeah, I don't know too much about what's going to happen mm. at all. I, I just... <laughs> Just, that's great. Yeah, I just I know I'm leaving in December so and we'll yeah. see what happens. Oh, but sort of that's how I felt when I went and did the reef show. So I have a bit more faith now that something creatively will come out of it. So I'm just really open to see what happens and it's a really cool thing to look forward to. Oh, yeah, it's a yeah. great thing. Yeah. Well, good luck with that trip. Thank and you. And thanks so much for your time today. It's been so fascinating to hear about your process and about all your work. So thanks. Thanks, Maria. What a passionate artist. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Laura Jones. Go to the website to see images of her work and details of her upcoming shows. And you can follow Talking With Painters on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube and Twitter where you can keep up with what's coming up on the podcast. And if you're enjoying the show, it'd be great if you could pop over to iTunes and give it a rating and review. Thanks again to all of those of you who've taken the time to do that. Hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters. I just think that's what's so interesting about painting, like what you can get from placing things side by side and like accidentally having some bits work with other bits and, and then sort of pulling it all together at the end. Mm. Like that's how I think you get a surface that has energy and a bit of emotion in it. If there's if there's a bit of a story there with the marks that you've put down. <laughs>